0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about cybersecurity, and we're going to be speaking today with Mary Beth Borgwing, who's coming to us all the way from New York City. She is the Global Executive Director of Cybersecurity and Risk Practices at Advisen LTD. Let me tell you a little bit about her incredible background. Uh, she brings to Advisen decades of experience as a risk manager, um, as a senior risk manager, finance, and insurance executive. And she founded Standish Risk Management in 2010, and she focuses on bridging the gap between risk and compliance, which creates results for leadership in financial services and information technology and in insurance. And for the 12 prior years, Mary Beth led senior risk teams as an advisor to Fortune 500 clients of Marsh and Willis Group Holdings and more. And Mary Beth was the chief financial officer at Centillion, and spent her early career in accounting, auditing, and compliance in the financial services sector. Mary Beth is also the East Coast Steering Committee Chair of Cloud Now, which is Cloud Network of Women, and she's a contributing author to the Cyber Risk Network. And I met her up at the RSA Conference in San Francisco and thought she'd be a fabulous guest. So, Mary, thank you so much for joining us this morning all the way from New York City. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I I am enjoying
2: here uh, learning more about your show. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, it's fun. Thank
1: so you. yeah, so first, tell us a little bit about Advisen. What do they do?
2: Well, Advisen is a content and data provider to the risk and insurance industry, and we have two networks that we have built, one in cyber risk and one in in enterprise risk. And those networks provide data analytics and also uh, content feeds on cyber risk topics as well as enterprise risk topics to 56,000 folks globally. We are headquartered in New York City, but we are a global company privately held, 12 years old, and we probably have more cyber data than um, most other folks on cyber losses. And so with that data, we provide con- context to what's going on in the current state of the cyber risk market.
1: Well, that is a huge area. That's got to be a pretty overwhelming job for you. So what what are you, you know, what is your scope of job as the global executive director? That's got to be really tough, <laughs> Well,
2: it's a lot of fun. Um, we're getting ready right now to do a uh, we just finished a, a conference in a cyber risk conference in London and in San Francisco. and we have a team going to Singapore tonight wow. to do to do a conference in Singapore because cyber risk is a global issue, and it affects all of us. And in the insurance business, um, you know when you when you engage with a carrier to buy cyber insurance, you actually get global coverage, and I don't think a lot of people understand that, that if your company is truly global, and today I think it's hard for companies not to think of themselves global. Even a small um, mom-and-pop shop may be selling things over the web to people all over the world, and that makes you a, that makes you a target for uh, a cyber breach, and it also makes you global. Exactly. So, so, and we're also having uh, another conference here in New York in October. So we do about five cyber risk conferences a year, and we are very well attended. And we try to meld the risk world, not just the technology world, but we need we're bridging the gap between um, cyber and technology and risk because risk intelligence is a very important component to cybersecurity.
1: Absolutely. So in terms of working with companies, um, what do you do? Do you audit them, or how do you help them? Well, what we do to help them is we
2: provide um, context to their, the, the risk issues that they face. So we actually can do a lot with comparison of data between them and their peers or within an industry, and we can provide them with a way to almost self-assess and do a self-assessment and to rate themselves into how they are in understanding at an enterprise level what their cyber uh, risks are and and how they will deal with them as an enterprise.
1: Right. And and do you have best practices that you develop then as well or or no?
2: um, Yeah, we have assessment processes that we've developed, but we also do it with Most companies today have some sort of a framework that they're following, and if they don't, we help them, we guide them to best practices in those. But sometimes we actually, we're like the glue that fills in the framework with um, giving them a reference point. For example, a very large financial institution in the United States is looking to train folks on threat intelligence in their organization. So to be aware when you sit at your desk and to understand what cyber risk means to their company, okay? As an enterprise, it starts at the at the human level with right. with someone going in to click on a on a on a folder or a, a, an ad or whatever, and they're sitting in the, in the, within the company. And so they are building tools that will educate their workforce on that, and we will provide them with data so that they can have they can have points of understanding where these things have already happened, and, and they create more factoids into the training tool.
1: Oh, I so see. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're like Intel inside for data. <laughs> I it's, see. Uh-huh. And from your experience, what is the relationship of social media and employees? Well, social media, you can't
2: go anywhere today without social media, really. It's everywhere, right? So, right. Um, you know, we, we try to tell people that, you know, To have guidelines while you're at work, you know, don't click on it if you don't want to be profiled or to cause a breach for your company. Because every time you search online, the most innocent of things, looking for a restaurant, even to take a client out or to go and look up a, a, you know, a company you haven't heard of, you know, you, you, you put your company and yourself at risk. You have to be mindful of where you're going and how you're going and when you're you know when you're on a page that you know is asking you to do things you should you know you should be rapidly thinking that this may not be a good idea if it doesn't feel right and so you know a lot of people companies allow their employees to go on Facebook and LinkedIn and LinkedIn is a big network but also you can be you can go down the rabbit hole into those and and you can actually give people an entry point into your company by having that URL open up a, uh, a, a window within your network. So you really need to be very cognizant of your footprint online. And using social media is really where all of the bad actors and um, the folks that want to enter your company will try to enter from. So you need to be mindful of that. And I think companies need to have rules. And I know that. There are a lot of people doing, you know, bring your own device to work, B-O-I-O-D rules, and they seem to be different for everyone because when your CEO is walking around with an iPhone but you know you can't encrypt it and keep it safe on the network, it's, a, it's, a very, it's very hard for them to not let employees do that. So there has to be limitations of where, what, what programs and, and what um, applications can be utilized when they're on these, these uh, you know, mobile devices. But I mean, there are so many mobile devices now. It's not just picking on the iPhone. It's everywhere. Right, right.
1: And, yeah. Well, so, so you know, we're talking about not only um, hacking, we're talking about social engineering, too, aren't we, then? When someone is on Facebook and they friend you and they want to find out about your company, that can be social engineering and find out everything that they need to find out to get into the company, Right.
2: Correct, and that's what some of the threat intelligence folks at the banks and the financial institutions are really worried about, that everything that looks innocent, you're trying to find out really competitive intelligence as well. So there's a lot of competitive intelligence that happens on the social media sites. So you don't really want um, your, you know, your CEO to be able to link in with folks and have them get information from the CEO. There needs to be a fence around some of that. So that there needs to be really a process of how they communicate outwardly and how they let people communicate back into, um, that, you know, those, those people that have jobs that are very visible.
1: Yes, and you've got small companies, medium-sized companies, and large companies, and I would think that you kind of have to have um, rules for all of those because, as you said before, even small companies, mom and pop that sell on the internet, they're global, right? They're global, and um, absolutely, and so they can get into that. So, so does does advise and give advice as to the types of policies you should have. With regard to these kinds of things, with re- with your employees,
2: well, we have we have a best practices approach. We do have um, a, divisions within Advantan that can build frameworks mm-hmm. and within mm-hmm. different industry sectors, because every industry has a different need to what their policy should be. You know, HIPAA, High Tech Act, with you know, in, within healthcare and within um, somewhat of within financial, financial services. So the more regulated industries have, you know, so many intense ways that they look at building frameworks that we actually can go from a high level and give people best practices across many industries. And we can also give them um, policy wording on, on their contracts for how they look at you know, what is the best policy wording all across the industry to transfer risk. And so we do a lot of that because, especially in, in a new area like cyber, um, cybersecurity insurance, there isn't one um, what we call an um, ISO form, a standard form for doing that. Right. So we, we help people create a wording that is specific to their risk because everybody's risk is different. So the be- there is best practices, but then when you look to drill down on your risk from an enterprise level, since everybody's business is a little different, their risk is a little different, so they need to take time before they even look at the best practices. Is to first step would be to understand their risk and what that what those risks mean to them from a quantitative and a qualitative perspective, and then rate those risks, and then they can look to understand building best practices around them. We so, do we do some of that through some of our tools
1: uh-huh. and
2: our um, divisions within Advisant.
1: So for the people for the companies that are driving by we're we're in like the little Silicon Valley here Aliso Viejo we're we're right near there in in Irvine, California. Have a lot of companies, midsize, small, some large. Um, so what are some of the things that they should be doing to figure out what their risk is? Like what what kind of data they're collecting or what are some of the um, if you could give us a little punch list of some of the things they need to look at. Well, I mean,
2: I think Silicon Valley is very, and, and, you know, very interesting hotbed of, um, you know, risk issues because they are a lot of them are collecting data from mm-hmm. larger companies mm-hmm. because they provide a service or a product to larger companies. So when this is very much around what we call supply chain risk within technology. So um, you know, not only that will they get hacked, but they actually take on other companies' liabilities by housing data from other companies on their networks. And so, you know, they 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 actually are small companies that are servicing larger, but their risks are because of the fluidity of the way technology works today. They're taking on those larger companies' risks. So they need to be contractually looking to their clients to help them indemnify them for these issues because if they don't, then they could go out of business if something happens to their largest client. And a lot of times these smaller companies, they maybe have, you know, um, very focused sales funnels on some of these larger companies because they're in a growth stage to test their products. So they may have a concentration with, you know, a top... 20 company in the, in the country, and yet their revenues are still under $50 million, but they're servicing a very important component of this large company. And so they need to be able to understand how to protect themselves and transfer that um, risk, number one, with, in, with insurance and get indemnification within their contracts. And then also have uh, a remedy for when there is an issue to be able to mitigate Against that breach and bring it to um, conclusion as fast as possible and involve their 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 partners, so their partners would be their customers and other vendors that they're dealing with because usually they're they're connected with other vendors as well, not just directly to that to that client
1: yes, so how can they understand all of the local laws and if if they're global? how are they going to understand maybe the laws in Canada or, or Spain or even different states within our, within our own country? How are they going to do that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, that's a really hard question, because I think big companies are struggling with that, as well as the smaller companies. You know, there are um, indices out there where you can get um, a local law, you know, actually, we, we provide some of that, we know, you know, what, globally, what, uh, local laws around certain types of risks, and and you know there are law firms that do that, but I mean I, I think for a smaller company it's, it would be really it's overwhelming for them to be looking to contract the large law firm to do that, right, um, and right. uh, n- not just uh, to know what the what the um, the cyber risks are and laws are in these areas, but also the tax laws. So a lot of these companies they really take on a lot of risk by going uh, truly global, by putting employees in places. So, uh, And they're, they're also still subject to the Foreign Corrupt Practice Act for their supply chain. If they're selling, there are small companies selling over there to um, countries that if they have vendors that they're outsourcing to because they don't have full operations there, they're putting the company at risk as well. And sometimes, you know, they might be outsourcing their technology uh, to a cloud service provider in a local country. And if that cloud service provider is, is not up to um, par on all of the local laws, then they could be putting their company at risk back here in the United States for not only a breach, because maybe they're not following, you know, protocols. They're not doing local laws. They may not be following breach protocols either. They might not have enough security but also they could be um, have cross-border issues with uh, Foreign Corrupt Practice Act. So I think you really need to check out your vendors, and I think you, you need to have a framework for, you know, using the, the, the highest bar, which would probably be some of the laws that are coming out in the EU, yes. as well as some of the states here in Massachusetts and obviously California, and using those as the high bar and making those vendors in those countries um, meet the standards of those, of the of what we have here with the Foreign Corrupt Practice Act guidelines and also, um, you know, best practices within cybersecurity and, and uh, you know, reporting a breach, the re- reporting process that has to go on at the local levels here, because I think we have more, that between us and the EU, in, in, especially in the UK, we have more stringent reporting laws here and in the EMEA.
1: Yes. So what are you seeing today in cyber breaches uh, with the, you know, as far as companies that uh, you report on? How are the breaches affecting, you know, the employees and the customers' privacy and, and the companies themselves?
2: Well, you know, that's a good question because I think, um, as we say, that I was talking the other day to a, um, a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, was with a top 10 company. And we were talking about um, some of the frameworks that are out there to, um, you know, to go through and have protocols for uh, you, uh, working on a breach when you know you need a methodology to sort of test your test your network, test your company and the enterprise, and also to uh, remediate. And you know what's happened is some, there's a there's so many levels of hackers now that are out there, bad actors and hackers. You know there's there's uh, one level that, you know, is so sophisticated and that doesn't need any um, help from anybody to get in anywhere. And then there's a lot of, uh, I guess, um, you know, uh, copycats that need help to get into these places. So those people are really not doing things um, to go out and be against, you know, sovereign states and hacking try- to the government. They're trying to use it as a profit margin, and so they're buying very cheap, underground software, and they're waiting for holes that Microsoft to report their, you know, their holes in their, in their latest version of um, Windows, and they're using that to go in and cause havoc in businesses where there's a lot of credit card information. So the actual credit cards are, are so unvaluable now because the market is getting flooded with credit cards for sale because of all of these, what I call, um, you know, imitation uh, hackers because they're they're using very specific technology and very specific um, ways to cause you know to get to get this data. And so, what's happening is consumers are now paying the price for these breaches, whereas you know financial institutions were paying the price because they were getting hacked, and nation states and the government. So they're going downstream to get to the you know to the to the consumer level, and so that has really gotten attention in Washington and other places because consumers cannot be um, affected by this because that will affect the way people buy and, and that will affect our economy in a very bad way when people don't feel safe using their credit cards yeah. so i I think that there's a, a real supply chain problem here with the way hackers are are doing that. There's a whole hacking business out there that's taking place.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and for credit cards, you know, I think what's more scary is the uh, debit cards because debit cards are where the consumers are really getting the pain because the money's gone from their account. Whereas the credit cards, I think the credit card companies and the retailers are the ones that are getting hurt because they have to, you know, we have the fair credit billing act which means that if my credit card is used by a fraudster i can dispute it and i'm not going to have to pay for it it's going to come back and it's going to either be the retailer or the credit card company and then the credit card company has to issue a new card to me so um it, it's um it's it's really hard on the on the companies for credit cards and it's really hard on the uh, consumers for the debit cards. But how about the employees? H- how is it affecting the employees? Um, you mean the employees of the, of the companies that are getting hacked? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean,
2: okay, from the top down view, mm-hmm. um, there's a fall guy. Yeah. And there's been a lot of fall gals out there lately, I've noticed, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. especially, especially with Target. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so someone has to be blamed. So, you know, you can... You can steal someone's intellectual property and that nothing happens, you know, um, people don't get fired, you know, whatever. But if you cause a breach that doesn't do anything to your shareholder value, we still haven't proved that, you know, cybersecurity breaches actually affect the shareholder value of a company, um, then, you know, there's people taken out at the top because the board strategically, the risk is misunderstood within these companies. And so um, employees really go to fight or flight, and they start saying, "Okay, I'm gonna the, my boss is gonna get fired and gonna come down and blame me." And so these breaches are causing you know a lot of turnover within um, the the tech the technical uh, jobs within these companies. And so I think that's one issue, and then the other is you know um you know you don't want to be the one to cause a breach in your company, so right. you need to be very mindful and um you know HIPAA is a great you know example of that you know if you're at a hospital and you try to look at a record a medical record that you're not you're not supposed to, many doctors have been fired across the states looking at you know um, high high um, like Profile. celebrities and whatnot, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. And so i think I think that it's there's not enough awareness ar- around how the enterprise deals with it. I think it's still being you know it's a managing by crisis still, yeah, but I think that's affecting the employees when you have to manage by crisis to do these events,
1: yeah, yeah, so what do you think is keeping these CEOs up at night?
2: well, um,
1: <laughs> I can say
2: that probably a lot of things are waking them up at night um, because they have, you know, it's a tough climate out there. Um, you know, one tweet and your company can be down in the toilet. Um, nice. And so uh, I think social media is a very um, big brand um, and reputation issue that keeps a lot of CEOs thinking, you know, that they have to be very mindful of what they say and do. Um and I also think that um, the world has gotten a lot more competitive because, you know, everything is technology-based. Um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, where bricks and mortar is really truly going, and you know, people, you know, going to malls and things. So I think the way people buy is different. So I think you have to have a really competitive niche. So I think that CEOs are worried about their supply chain and, and how they keep that, safe and proprietary, as well as continually to in, to go into new markets and invent new um, products and services for their company because it's very easy to get behind the curve. And that's really because of what's going on with technology and the world is flat. Yes. So,
1: and, and, you know, I, I have several friends that are chief security officers, and obviously that's got to be, like, the, the scariest job ever, especially nowadays, do you see yeah. that they're
2: changing? Um, they're changing their titles too, so they can get bigger budgets. I don't know if you've had any friends tell you that, but yeah. I've had some. Yeah, they're they're changing their titles to Chief Information Risk Officer, so that they can actually have a budget outside of technology so that they can mitigate some of these issues from perspective outside of technology and go into more of the enterprise level of the company and mitigate some of these issues. So yeah, that's what I was
1: going to ask you, because in the past, there has that wasn't a profit center. So the budget was really not there, right? And so, right. um, you know, how can you do all these things if you don't have the budget, you don't have the resources? So that's what I was just going to ask you is, you know, how are they getting enough resources to deal with all this stuff?
2: Yeah, well, I think that um, I can think of a, a few people I've talked to at very large companies who have had some breaches of recent. And, you know, like oh, there's one company um, it's a very large company, and believe it or not, they had only two people mm-hmm. that were really looking out for breach containment and frameworks and literally and looking at building um, an information security platform that would speak to the risks and get, those, get, get the intelligence out to the, um, the whole company. Um, and so um, I, I think that they're, they're, they have to raise awareness at the board level, and they have to educate the boards on this risk. And they have to make them understand that, you know, they may put 100 controls in place, but only eight of them are really valuable. Mm-hmm. And so it's the 80-20 rule. And so in, and those 20 may cost them money because they may have to go outside of technology to, to put mitigation in place to mitigate the risk. So I think that they have to raise awareness at the board level. And they have to demonstrate in these use cases. And that's some, somewhere where we come in and we help them with data and we show them that, you know, with this data, they may be able to go and have a better perspective, give the board a better perspective of what's happening outside of their company.
1: Yeah, because they have to be able to convince the board, and and they traditionally... Haven't spoken to the board, so this is kind of a new place for them too to kind of like really convince the board as to what's going on. And like you said, your your data and other stat, you know, uh, studies such as the Pollman Institute, others they can come in and show, well, this is this is what's going to happen, and this is why we need more money in our budget. So uh, it's it's a brave new world, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, and you know, the Pollman Institute can give you a a cost per record. And that's very important on the privacy side for looking at the, you know, the, the consumer and, you know, for companies to be able to aggregate the cost of reporting on those records. And what we do is we aggregate the losses across, um, at over, over time sequencing to look at how the losses have, have grown. You know, like for example, we, we're following the target breach, for example, where we're showing what, where and what states Um, and what regions there's litigation happening. And, you know, it's interesting to see that heat map, to see where um, the the litigation is starting to happen. And where, you know, it's mostly in mostly populated areas. But there is some in, like, North Dakota where there's fracking going on, right, because people were, you know, uh, hacked there because there's a lot more money there now. So it's kind of an interesting flow of where the... Following the money as I call it.
1: Yeah, and we are out of time. So this is really wonderful. Thank you so much for all of your great insight and knowledge. And we will have you back again. Just give your website and it's time for us to go.
2: Great. Well, our website is um is the uh Okay, and, thank- and the cyberrisknetwork.com.
1: Okay, thank you so much. You've been terrific. You've been listening to K U C I 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy Thanks. Stay private.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.